Good evening, church. Our text tonight is Psalm 43. If you would turn there in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one underneath the chair in front of you. Psalm 43, whether you are a Christian or not, I, I, I think you should turn to this text and follow along. It will bless you. I was just joking with Raymond. He said, I think I could just read this and pray and be done. We've experienced and witnessed a lot of incredible things that God has done today alone and also have mourned together. Psalm 43, as we continue and and finish our mini-series in Psalms of Lament, the Word of God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God. My God, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your eternal word that ministers to our hearts, that has the power to bring salvation and save us from our sins, Lord. Thank you for giving us words to articulate the cries of our heart. Amen. Uh, If you don't know, I I work for an organization called Young Life. And in my ministry, I I have the privilege of sharing the gospel with teenagers. And in my time in that organization, I've I've seen several non-believing teenagers believe in Christ. And that is a joyous thing. But for some of our students, uh, it comes with with mourning. Uh, It is a joy to be redeemed in the Lord. And yet, when a a non-believer who who comes from a family who does not believe, uh, for a student who their primary friend group are not believers, oftentimes they are met uh, with mocking and, and taunting and I've seen it get really ugly for our students they'll, they'll post on social media their way of communicating uh, a joyous thing that's happened in their life and they, they're met with, with trolls ridiculing them and making fun of their new belief <clears throat> but it makes sense doesn't it that as Jesus' kingdom advances those who are opposed to his kingdom, those who focus on the kingdom of the world would, would be in objection to what God is doing. They would, they would oppose God's kingdom and, and all those who are Christ ambassadors. So our text this morning points us to this question. When opposition comes, how do the people of God deal with the relational emotional and physical suffering we might endure. 
And our psalm of lament gives us a helpful prayer to pray and a helpful song to sing. You'll notice, uh, differently than the two psalms that we've, we've seen thus far, there's not an introductory comment necessarily in our text. But if you read Psalm 43 right after you read Psalm 42, you'll actually see that it probably was that these two psalms, 42 and 43, were once one psalm. There's a refrain that is mentioned twice in Psalm 42 that we have in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, hope in God? I wonder if at some point the, the person that collected all of the psalms decided to separate the two because there is a shift in focus. In Psalm 42, there's, though it seems to be the same event, the focus is on the reality that the psalmist is separated from God's dwelling place. And he longs to be with God. And it reminds him that his soul is in need of God. It's very similar to Psalm 63. But then the focus shifts in our psalm of why he's separated. There seems to be people that are preventing him from being able to get to the dwelling place of God, his temple. And so he goes to the Lord in prayer. Our time this evening will be led by three pleas that we will see in our psalm. The first plea, a plea for vindication. Verse 1, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. The psalm begins abruptly, already pleading to the Lord for vindication. This actually is parallels to how suffering and, and pain come into our life. It's abrupt. It's not invited. We don't ask for it. It knocks on our door. The psalmist is pleading for justice, that God would defend his cause. Who is he pleading to be defended from? We see it in verse 1 and verse 2. From an ungodly people, from the deceitful and unjust man. As we read Psalm 42, other language is used, as in verse 10 of Psalm 42, this person is actually people, they're adversaries. In verse 3 of, of chapter 42 and, and verse 10, we find out that, that these adversaries have been taunting the psalmist, saying, where is your God all day and night? And then in verse 2 of our, of our text, chapter 43, the psalmist calls these adversaries, the enemy, the enemy that's oppressing him, which seems like strong language, but it's accurate because at this time, the people of God were a nation state. They had a physical land. They had a real earthly king. They had real earthly enemies, the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Syrians, nations who were against God. There were even people within the people of God, kings and leaders and whole tribes who were abandoning God and his plan. They were enemies of God and enemies of the psalmist. But as we, the New Testament people of God, how do we think about enemies? I thought before we could keep moving on in our text, it would be helpful to, to survey the New Testament. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we, as, as the New Testament people of God, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So on one hand, Paul tells us that our enemy are spiritual forces, the, the, the true enemy, Satan, that is against God. 
And then the letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 18, he writes this. Paul writes, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So in that text, he actually follows up and talks about you're either a citizen of heaven or you're an enemy of the cross of Christ. And so I think there is a reality that those who oppose Jesus and oppose the cross are in opposition to God and are his enemies. But I love Paul's spirit. He's in tears. I think that's how we view the enemies of God. In fact, that's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 44. He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But he warns us in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I think that's helpful for us. As we, this text is really speaking in our, in our time to think about people who are opposing the gospel, opposing the God that we believe in, and therefore will probably inflict pain and suffering to us. In other parts of the world, Christians are murdered for their faith. People are thrown in prison for believing in the gospel and meeting together as the people of God. In a a free nation, though often categorized as as post-Christian, meaning that the, the average person does not believe in the Christian God any longer, people are hostile. Perhaps, as Lauren shared, a family member who has become estranged because of your faith. Perhaps an employer or a coworker who seeks to put you in a place that you would have to compromise your faith or looks to have you fired for what you believe in. Or maybe a neighbor who once was pleasant but found out you're a Christian and treats you with contempt. While the psalmist is attacked by the enemies of God, the question is how does he respond? With retaliation? Is his first response to think of a really witty argument to win them over? Not at all. He prays. It's a, he, the psalmist writes a prayer of lament. He goes to his God and pleads that God would bring justice. Vindicate me. Defend my cause. Notice what he doesn't say. God, will you equip me to vindicate myself? Oh, no. You are not the judge. I am not the vindicator. That is God. Which leads me to ask you this. When you feel slighted by others, maybe specifically when people slight you because of your faith, how do you respond? Where do you seek for justice? Do you seek to settle matters yourself? Do you seek revenge or do you go to God in prayer? And lament. And, and to use Raymond's language from earlier, do you wrestle with the eternal promises of God and your present realities? I like that. That was good. <laughs> do, you, do you go to God and wrestle with those, those things? Listen to how our psalmist does it. Verse 2. You are the God in whom I take refuge. He looks back to the I've, I've, I've sought shelter and safety in you before God. Why do now I feel rejected? Why have you rejected me? 
Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why do I seem to be alone? The psalmist isn't trying to get even with his enemies, but instead he grieves, he laments, and he trusts in God to bring justice according to God's timing and God's plan, even when it feels like God is delaying. And he teaches us as we wait to pray. So the question is, what's your first response? Do you pray? And if so, what do we pray for? How should we pray? Well, that leads us to our second plea, a plea for guidance. Look at verse 3 with me. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre. Most likely from Psalm 42, we find that Like I said earlier, the enemies have most likely prevented the psalmist from reaching the temple of God, his dwelling place. And he prays that God would send his light and his truth. He doesn't pray specifically, God, will you tell me how you're going to bring justice? I mean, he could have looked back and be like, okay, God, remember when you kind of dropped the Red Sea on the Egyptians? That That was a good move. Let's do that again. Would you... Is that how you're going to do it? No, he prays what seems to be ambiguous for God's light and his truth. And yet, it's an invitation for us to pray the exact same things. The psalmist is walking in a dark situation. And he prays for God to shed light. And he prays in the midst of people telling lies. Where is your God? For God's word. For his truth. It reminds me of Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God, as I'm walking through the darkness that I'm walking through, will you shed light? Will you speak the truth over me? Because I'm having a hard time believing it right now. Do we turn to God's living word when we are walking through dark situations? Because that's, that is the flashlight that he's given us as we walk in the darkness of his world. How else will we see but God's word, his light to us? And I can admit, it is hard in the midst of situations like this to turn to God's word. It's actually why you can minister to yourself while in in every season to learn the discipline of turning to God's word. So when we reach those moments, when we have God's word in our heart because we memorize it, when when we have disciplines in our life, It sets us up for when we walk through darkness. We know where the light is found. And I would encourage you to build that discipline of turning to God's word. And where does God's light and truth lead the psalmist? To God's dwelling place, to God himself, to his altar, who he views synonymous with God. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And notice how he prays that God will send his light, and then he's confident that God will will provide. Once you send your light, verse 4, then I will go to the altar of God, and I will praise you. He's confident. He's confident that though he's weeping now, there will be a day when he has exceeding joy. As a New Testament believer, we have even greater confidence 
for where this psalmist believes that God would send a Savior, we know who the Savior is. Jesus tells us in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the, fa to the Father except through me. John writes in John 14 that Jesus became flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus is the dwelling place of God. And as we were reminded this morning when we practiced the, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, we were reminded that the Gospels always speak of Jesus on the cross as the true sacrifice on the altar of God. Jesus is our confidence, and there's no greater confidence than that. He is our hope, which leads me to our last plea, a plea for hope. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. As the psalmist reach, reaches his final stanza, he's in an interesting dilemma. He has proclaimed, whether he believes it wholeheartedly or not, that God will come through. So in one sense, he does believe and not just an intellectual assent, but he truly does personally believe. He calls God, my God. I know he will do this. But at the same time, though he wholeheartedly believes, there's a part of him that doubts. And so he, he pleads with himself to believe. The psalmist is getting at something that we all experience as a Christian, that we believe and yet there's part of us that doesn't. And then the psalmist, through poetry, personifies his own soul. And in so doing, we get the picture that as a friend comes to another and asks for counsel, he's giving counsel to his own soul to conform to the truth that he believes, that God it will be his salvation. What's he doing? He's not only pleading with his soul, he's preaching the gospel to himself. Don't you see that? It, it, again, it's almost as if he's sitting down with himself and saying, why are you cast down? I know you're walking through turmoil. Hope in God. What else is there to hope in? Hope in God. He is pleading with his own soul. And I'm reminded that it is a beautiful thing to sit with the people of God and have the opportunity when you don't have the words to articulate yourself the gospel, that someone would preach the gospel over you and to you. But this psalm reminds us that we also have the opportunity to minister and preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Do you know how to preach the gospel to yourself? If not, I would commend something that, that Raymond has committed many times to you, this, this a gospel primer. I've slowly been working through it. I'm only probably like 12 gospel prayers through. It has been ministering to my heart. Let me read one short quotation about the importance of why you would want to preach the gospel to your soul every day. 
There is simply, and he's talking about preaching the gospel to yourself, there is simply no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience, the condemnings of my heart, the lies of the world and the devil, than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the gospel. If you're here this evening and, and you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the gospel, but you long to know, I would encourage you, grab a member, grab one of the pastors. We would love to sit down with you and share the gospel with you. And for members, I would encourage you to pick up one of these and start working through it. It will teach you how to preach the gospel to yourself. And as you minister to yourself, and as the word is the one truly ministering to your heart, you will experience slowly but surely healing of the laments and cries of your heart. A couple of juniors at Henderson High School who have been coming to Young Life and and have accepted Christ and have experienced some of their friends say a lot of hurtful things. And as they have slowly dug deeper and deeper into the gospel, they've started to pray for, for their friends who have spoken a lot of hateful things to them. Because that's what the gospel does. It gives us the power to heal. And I would just exhort us in closing to spend time lamenting to God, especially when the enemies of God persecute you. Respond in prayer, preach the gospel to your soul daily, and most importantly, remember the confidence that you have in Jesus, the one who was rejected by the world, rejected by his Father, so that you would never be rejected again. And take comfort as we wait for the promises to be fully fulfilled. Because we can trust that God, who is the ultimate vindicator, will bring justice. Will bring justice to all those who've rejected the Savior. Hope in Christ, friends. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these psalms. We've only scratched the surface of all all the, the psalms that you've given us to lament and cry out to you and Wrestle with the eternal promises of your word and the present realities of our heart. We pray for our enemies, Lord. We know that in one sense, they're not our enemies. They're our, they are beggars who need to know where the food of Christ is. And yet they oppose you. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who have been opposing you, that you would bring them a saving faith in Christ. We pray this in the name of God. Amen.